the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There are certain Old Testament laws concerning dietary things that the Jews could eat, foods that were clean, foods that were unclean. Obviously, the Gentiles don't care about eating clean foods, and Peter was eating all the unclean things with them. But now the Judaizers came down, and Peter was intimidated, and he feared them, and he stopped eating with them. And Paul says, that is ridiculous. That is not only hypocrisy, but Paul saw that this was a threat to the gospel of grace. Peter was such a leader among leaders that the rest of the Jewish believers joined him in hypocrisy, and the result that even Barnabas, who was one of the pastors of the church at Antioch, was carried away by their hypocrisy. It's easy to go with the crowd. We try to anticipate what kind of behavior will gain the approval of others, especially the approval of those in authority over us. We know that Peter did not agree with the Judaizers because Paul called him a hypocrite. When people come into our churches with doctrines that are contrary to God's clear instructions, we need to take a stand and act on our biblical knowledge and not on the fear of rejection. Hello, this is Peter Silseth, and I am pleased to have you with us today for Verse by Verse. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is giving us a tour, one verse at a time, through chapter 3 of the book of Philippians. Pastor Steve has been serving for over 27 years at Lakeside. And these daily Bible classes are adapted from his pulpit ministry by Verse by Verse Ministries. Our main text today and for the next few days is verses 4 through 7 of Philippians chapter 3. Understanding what is required for salvation is not only a factor in where we spend eternity. It has a major impact on our lives right here, right now. Here's Pastor Steve to tell us more. You know, all of us have days... We just have those days when people get to us, don't we? When nobody seems to see the issues quite as clear as we do. Nobody sees it our way. Everybody's just unreasonable. We have, we have days like that. On, on days like that for me, I usually turn to Michelle and I say, you know, I think we're the only two normal people in the world. And then I say, and sometimes I have my doubts about you. Now, that's an old line. If you haven't heard that before, it's a good one to use, but it's an old line. And I'm, you know, when I say that, I'm kidding most of the time. Sometimes I'm not kidding, but most of the time. However, a number of years ago, an ancient rabbi took this one step further, and he wasn't kidding. Rabbi uh, Simeon ben Yokert said this, and I quote, If there are only two righteous people in the world, my son and I are the two. If there is only one, I am he. Now, wouldn't you have liked to have asked his wife some questions about his humility and things like that? We, we don't have that opportunity, but that's what Rabbi Simeon ben Yokert said. Now, the rabbi may have been an extremist in his self-righteousness, but there have always been people who think that they are better than others, holier, more righteous, more godly, 
superior in, in ethics and morality. In the first century, there was a group of people, a whole group of religious people who saw themselves as good enough to earn their way into heaven, and they saw themselves as really as better than other people. They were called Judaizers or legalists because they were, for the most part, Jewish people, not all, but for the most part, Jewish people who, while intellectually accepting the fact that Jesus was Messiah, they believed that salvation was not simply uh, uh, an act of putting your trust in Christ alone for your salvation. They believed that salvation came by faith in Christ plus adherence to the Mosaic law. They went back to the law and they said that you must be, if you're going to become a Christian, they said this to the Gentiles, you must first be a Jew. Gentiles had to first become Jews before they could become Christians. And they saw circumcision as the initiation rite into becoming a Jew. And so uh, they were very prevalent in the first century. But it's an old question. And it hasn't left us in the first century. It's not something that was just in the first century. It's an old question about how is somebody saved? Are they saved by faith alone, by the grace of God through faith alone? Or are they saved by faith plus something else, whether it be church membership or baptism or good works or circumcision or anything that's added to faith? Now, I want you just to have a little background of this. Throughout Paul's ministry... He had continual conflicts with these legalists. So let's look at that. If you'll turn back to Galatians, just two books from Philippians. Galatians chapter 2. I'm sorry, we'll turn to Galatians in a little bit, but let's turn to Acts chapter 15. And we're just continuing what we began two weeks ago as we started Philippians chapter 3, which deals with these folks. But in Acts chapter 15, we first meet them. This was the first major problem that the early church encountered, and they had a whole council about this to discover where they stood theologically on this issue. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. And some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, they were very clear. This is not uh, something that they were hiding. They were clear as far as their theological position. They said, you must be circumcised. You must become a Jew before you can be saved. But look at verse 2. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Now, you see, the reason it became an issue is because the first believers were Jews. And so they didn't have to go through all this uh, circumcision and rigmarole. They were Jews, but now Gentiles were being saved. And so the question came up, well, are Gentiles uh, saved just by faith in Christ, or don't they have to go back into the Mosaic Law? So the, the early church was faced with this theological question, and that's why it's, it's coming up in Acts chapter 15 rather than back in Acts chapter 2. And Paul is saying, absolutely not. Grace is grace. We didn't have to go back to the Mosaic Law to become Christians. Why should the Gentiles? Now, look how uh, this developed in verse 5. But certain ones of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, and here's what they said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. They said, no, Gentiles have to become Jews. And the apostles and elders came together to look into this matter. Now, they looked into the matter 
and they have, uh, they, it, it, we're not going to take the time to read all this, but basically James gets up as the chairman of the board and he says, let's, uh, let's get this together, let's figure out what we believe, and their conclusion is this, Gentiles are saved the same way the Jews are by the grace of God. They write a letter to various churches and, and Gentile churches and they say, we think that it's good sound judgment that you uh, refrain from doing certain things which might be a stumbling block to Jewish believers, but never do they say that you must become a Jew to become a Christian. And verse 19 sums it up this way. Therefore, it is my judgment, James says, that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. In other words, don't put a yoke of bondage on them. Don't trouble them. They don't need to do anything else but accept Christ and all that is involved in that. Now, if you think that's the end of the matter, you're mistaken because these Judaizers were very, very persistent. And now you need to turn to Galatians chapter 2 because they didn't give up. They were not going to take heed to the counsel of the church. And in that situation, you're talking about an inspired counsel because you're talking about apostles. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. But Paul writes, But when Cephas, and that's just another name for Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Paul is saying, When Peter came to Antioch, I stood up to him because Peter did something that was terrible. Terrible. In case you're ever wondering whether you can rebuke a leader in the church, take note of this. Paul withstood Peter to the face when he was wrong. And he explains it in verse 12 and following. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. Apparently, this group came from Jerusalem, these Judaizers, and they came to Antioch, and they began saying, no, you have to become a Jew, you have to be circumcised. You, and, and, and Peter apparently became intimidated. Peter became intimidated, and he who used to eat with the Gentiles stopped eating with them because these Judaizers uh, would say to him, that's, that's against the law. You can't do that. There are certain Old Testament laws concerning dietary uh, things that the Jews could eat, foods that were clean, foods that were unclean. Obviously, the Gentiles don't care about eating clean foods, and Peter was eating all the unclean things with them. But now the Judaizers came down, and Peter was intimidated, and he feared them, and he stopped eating with them. And Paul says, that is ridiculous. That is not only hypocrisy, but Paul saw that this was a threat to the gospel of grace because he goes on and he says in verse 13, and the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy. Peter was such a leader among leaders that the rest of the Jewish believers joined him in hypocrisy and the result that even Barnabas, who was one of the pastors of the church at Antioch, was carried away by their hypocrisy. Now watch what, what Paul does. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. Paul saw this not as a, a liberty issue. He saw it as a, as a distortion of the gospel of grace. I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? In other words, you gave up your Jewish laws and have been living like a Gentile. You're eating with them, you're mixing with them, you're doing their, the things that they would do. Now, all of a sudden, you want to go back to the old legalistic system and make the Gentiles live like Jews. I mean, Paul is just calling him a hypocrite. Until these people came from Jerusalem, you live like a Gentile. Now you want Gentiles to live like Jews. You, Peter, are a hypocrite. 
And notice what he says in verse 15 and 16. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we who have believed in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. What he is saying is this, even though we are Jews, there, and not Gentiles, there is only one way to be saved, and that is through Christ and not law. Whether you're Jewish, whether you're Gentile, there is only one way to be saved, and that is faith in Jesus Christ alone, apart from any works of the law, any works of any kind. Now, these legalists had apparently spread to the church of the Philippians. They had come to Philippi, and they were spreading their error, and that's where Paul steps in. And in chapter 3 of Philippians, we began our study two weeks ago to look at this. Basically, the whole chapter is devoted to Paul protecting his beloved Philippian church from the error of these legalists or Judaizers. And so let's let's read that. We looked at verses 1 through 3 last time, but let's read verses 1 through 3 down to verse 7. Finally, my brethren, this is Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And I believe the heart of this, the purpose behind this, Paul wants them to maintain their joy. And that really fits in with our understanding of the book of Philippians, which is a letter about joy. And there are certain things that would rob us of our joy. In chapter one, he spoke about suffering that tends to rob people of joy, circumstances. And Paul is telling them in chapter one, you can rejoice even while going through difficult circumstances if you're more concerned about advancing God's interest than your own interest. In chapter two, we saw that people could rob us of our joy. People who get to us and bother us and, and uh, we disagree with them and we have one of those days where we feel we're the only normal people in the world and so forth. In chapter two, he says the, the way to deal with uh, rejoicing in the midst of people who disagree with you is serve them. Don't think about your own things, but take the place of a servant and serve them. Look not every man on his own things, but also every man on the things of others, and have this mind that was in Christ, have it be in you, because he was a humble servant. And then you come to chapter 3, and there's another issue that could rob us of joy and steal us, uh, steal from us the joy that God wants us to experience, and that's error. False teaching, especially dealing with the gospel, because when you come in and you and in your mind you allow error to infiltrate and tell you that you can never be secure about your salvation, that you could lose your salvation, that you have to, yes, you were saved by trusting Christ, but now you've got to do your good works to keep your salvation up. You'll never have joy. Never. Because you'll always wonder how good is, is good. How much do I have to do? You'll never have assurance. And if you think that you can earn your way to heaven by being a, a member in a church or being baptized or, or any good thing that you might do, charitable things, anything like that, then you will never have joy because you will always be striving. You'll never know when enough is enough. And so 
if Paul allows these Philippians to, to take in this error, then they will not have joy. And that's why he writes, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. I want you to have joy. And then he says, but I'm going to write these things. I've told you about that before, but I'm going to write these things to as a safeguard for you. I want to protect you. And the first thing he does is he attacks the character of these legalists. That's why he says, beware the dogs, beware the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. Know their character. They are evil. They are like prowling scavenger dogs. They are evil workers in that they are like missionaries who want to make you a convert to their heresy. And beware of the false circumcision. They're just mutilators is what he's saying. They're not really those who circumcise. However, you need to know not only their character, but know who you are. Understand who you are so you'll know that you don't need what they're offering. And then he says in verse 3, this is who you are. You're the true circumcision. You're the ones who have been circumcised in the heart. God has softened your heart. God has made you surrender, has worked in your life that you surrender to him. Who worship in the spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. That's who you are. That's who you are. Now, from this point, what Paul does, first he attacks their character, shows them up for what they really are. But have you ever tried to deal with a legalist? Have you ever witnessed to someone who is legalistic? That is to say that they think that they're good. Hardest people in the world to witness to. You know why? They don't see their need for Christ. They're too good. And if you share with them uh, uh, your testimony, if it's a wicked background, their attitude will be good. I'm so glad for you because you obviously needed salvation. I don't. Well, that's who Paul is up against. Humanly speaking, they're the hardest people to reach because they just don't see their need for Christ. They go to church. They were baptized. They're good. They've never murdered anybody. They've never been in trouble with the law. They're outstanding citizens. And then you come across and tell them that the Bible says they're wicked sinners. And they think, obviously, it's mistaken. Obviously, God doesn't know me because I don't fit in that class. I'm not like that. Well, that's who Paul is dealing with. And the only way to really deal with someone like this is to destroy their theological system. Destroy it in front of their eyes. Pull the props away from them. Take their theological foundation and pull it from them. Destroy their system and their security by showing them it's false. It doesn't work. It's error. They are mistaken. And that's what Paul is going to do. Paul is going to protect the Philippians from considering legalism as a theological system by using his life as a portrait of a former legalist who finally saw through the system and came to Christ. And what we need to do as we go through this, uh, we need to strengthen ourselves as to where we stand on the gospel of grace. Because there are people who are going to come along to you and say, you need something else. Or salvation is not secure. Do you think that you could be saved and then not lose it? Do you think that you could do that? Someone asked me recently, a few weeks ago, what do you think about the issue of eternal security? Is that one of these uh, difficult issues in terms of uh, where a church stands on? And I said, I wouldn't bend on that. It's not something you bend on. It's not something you're flexible about. You take your stand on eternal security. You take your stand on the gospel of grace. You never compromise on the gospel. There may be different views that people have on prophetic issues. There may be different views they have on baptism. And I'm not saying we bend on that, but we can allow fellowship with those who hold to different things. But you never, never bend at all 
on those who have a distorted view of the gospel. And so that's what's at stake here. So Paul is going to use himself as an example. And he's going to show them that, that it didn't work. Legalism doesn't work. People who are good and obedient to the Mosaic law, they said, would go to heaven. And they're telling the Philippians, you Philippians need to become good Jews. Now what Paul is going to do is he's going to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm going to, if I told you about the greatest Jew who has ever lived, would that make an impact on you? If I could show you that the greatest Jew who has ever lived realized that he couldn't get right with God by being the greatest Jew that's ever lived? Well, that's reasonable. And that's true. And that's what Paul does. He presents himself as the greatest Jew who has ever lived. He's not boasting. He's just telling it the way it is. And he's saying that I'm the greatest Jew. If anybody could be saved by good works, it's me. So what we want to look this morning is how Paul attacks legalism by presenting two things. Number one, his credentials. And number two, his conversion. And even though you may obviously believe that salvation is by grace, you need to be strengthened in this. And you need to be equipped so that when someone speaks to you and tells you that they could get to heaven by their own good works, that all they need to do is keep the Ten Commandments, all they need to do is be good, you need to know from the Word of God how to deal with them. So, so those of you who are interested in the evangelism ministry, listen very carefully because this will tell you how to deal with someone who is like that and also... It will help solidify us that we never move from the gospel of grace. There is also a sense in which perhaps Paul is writing, presenting himself as the greatest Jew because the Philippians may have said to him uh, or may have had the attitude, well, Paul, you don't understand. Uh, you're not like these Judaizers. They're, they're really uh, staunch Jews. You, you just don't know. And, and Paul's saying, oh, have I never told you about my background? Let me tell you where I was in Judaism. So let's look at that. Let's look at, first of all, his credentials. In verse 3, Paul has already said, he has closed that verse by saying that we put no confidence in the flesh. We, we rejoice in Christ Jesus. We don't put any confidence in the flesh, which is to say that our salvation isn't based on anything about us. We know that in, in our flesh dwells no good thing. Our, we're not basing our, our parents on getting to heaven, our moral character, our religious achievements, etc., all those things. But then Paul makes this interesting statement in verse 4. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. What an interesting verse. Is Paul boasting? Is he saying that he's better than others? No, he's really not. He's just saying that if he wanted to, he could have placed more confidence in his flesh than any of the legalists. In fact, he used to place his confidence in his flesh before he met Jesus Christ. And then he begins to list the things that he had confidence in. What he's saying is this. This is a challenge to the legalists. If you legalists think that you're religious, understand I'm more religious. I was more religious. If you legalists think that you are, you are righteous, understand that I'm more righteous. I was more righteous. If you legalists think that you're better Jews, understand I was the best. I was the best. It's a challenge to them. You see, a legalist might come along and say, you know, Philippians, the reason Paul doesn't believe in going back to the Mosaic laws and, and, and obedience to it is because look at his background. He had nothing to be proud of. He puts no confidence in the flesh because he doesn't have anything to have confidence in. And Paul is going to give a portrait of his background and prove them to be in error. 
He's got the credentials to prove it and support it. So it's a, a showdown. We will review Paul's impressive Jewish credentials in the next verse by verse. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is taking us one verse at a time through the third chapter of Philippians. And in this message, we are considering the Apostle Paul's arguments against the legalists who are threatening the purity of faith of his dear friends in Philippi. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, a position he has held for over 27 years. His expository messages make the transition from radio through the work of verse-by-verse -verse ministries and the support of listeners like you. Our lesson today was the start of a three-part message, which will continue in our next class. But perhaps you would like to hear the whole message at once. If so, you can order a cassette or a CD by calling us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will call you back during regular office hours. Our number again is 727-441-1714. You can find us on the web at versebyverseradio.org. You can learn more about Verse by Verse Ministries, listen to today's program or any previous ones you would like to hear, or you can sign up for our free podcasting service. You will find other features as you browse the website, versebyverseradio.org. I have often heard cigarette smokers complain about former smokers who get after them about quitting. Former smokers can testify like no one else about the benefits they receive as a result of breaking their habit. Please join us for the next verse by verse, and we will see Paul beginning to build the foundation for his testimony as a former legalist. Hope to see you then. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.